0: hello and welcome to off the beat and track podcast i'm your host i'm stew whiffin it's another week therefore it's another episode today's episode i sit down with charlene spateri of texas and well you're in for a treat this is an absolutely lovely chat um we go in on it and we well we certain well, I'll say we, like Charlene, certainly doesn't hold back. Um we get into it quite quickly. Um really passionate views uh on the music industry uh and and where it's going and people's you know, certain people's approaches to, to songwriting and the, the you know, the science for want of a better word, uh, of that. And uh yeah, it's a passionate start and and it just This has been one of my favourite natters um, this far, and you're going to see why. And before we get started with that chat, uh, just a few thank yous. So thank you to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you to Ash for sorting this out. Um, Thank you to 76 uh, for producing this podcast. Um, And thanks to you lot. Um, Thank you very much, because uh, it's you lot that have continued to support this podcast and... You know, I've seen you kind of sharing it on your your socials, and you know, and every time you give us a like, a love, or a comment, or something like that on 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 the socials for the podcast, it it really does help. So, thank you so much. Um, and yeah, I think that's the thank yous done. If this is your first time listening to Off the Beaten Track, then when you get to the end of this episode, um, go and have a look in the back catalog because you can hear. Me talking to artists such as David Gray, um, Fatboy Slim, uh, Motley Crew, Foo Fighters, uh, Butch Vig, did I say Fatboy Slim? Fatboy Slim, Suede, um, Idols, Sleaford Mods, and if you like your, your actors, then you can hear me talking to Maxine Peake, Amanda Abington, uh, gosh there's so many there's over 300 episodes now so I'm not going to try and list them all so just go and have a a look in the archives and I'm sure you'll see some people that you'd uh, you'd like to hear talk about their creative journey and the songs that have been important in that Um, if you'd like to support the podcast then you can do that um, really easily by subscribing uh, on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on Uh, if you see us on the socials as I mentioned a like a love a share a retweet all of that that's really kind and if you'd like to uh take that, that support to a uh you know a higher place uh and get even more content then you can do that on Patreon P-A-T-I-E-O-N patreon.com forward slash off the beaten track and over there um I put up radio shows, I put up video episodes, uh all sorts of stuff and there's a couple of hundred shows that have never been released to the masses that you can get there. Uh and that costs you 79p uh a month and then pennies go into to help help the podcast, really, with production costs and, and all the, the stuff that, you know, enables me to deliver, you know, three or four episodes a week for your listening pleasure. Right, that's enough waffle from me. Let's get the chat that you really want. Um, please enjoy today's episode of Off The Beat and Track Podcast with Charlene Spateri. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beat and Track Podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The Cacao Bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So one of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us. But they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out, www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat. But yeah, in the coming months, there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us, to win bottles of stuff. There's loads of exciting things coming soon. And I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. All right, let's get back to the podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Charlene, how are you doing today?
2: I am good. Um, I am literally, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in good spirits. I've been talking about myself all day. Which I have to say is not the most interesting thing on the planet, and I'm slightly um, bored with the sound of my own voice. But apart from that, all is good.
0: Well, I'm going to ask you to talk about yourself uh, <laughs> and, and eight no, records.
2: You're, you're not. You're going to. You're going to talk. We're going to talk about music. We're going to talk about other people's records now. Okay. So that is a different thing. That is interesting. That is fun. So yeah, that is going to be good. I'm just getting myself comfy. I'm laughing. Yeah. Looking at the dog. Look at the dog.
0: That dog, that dog, that dog's comfy. That dog,
2: is really comfy. I'm trying to get myself comfy. The dog is literally living its best life.
0: Charlene's dog is literally on his back or her back, paws up in the air, like completely sprawled.
2: Oh, literally, literally like that's pretty <laughs> unbelievable. That dog has no shame. All
0: right, let's do it. Wonderful. Where are you today? Where 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 where, where are you at? I'm at my home in Wales. Oh, in lovely. Lovely. Yep. Well, before we get on to the first track, Charlene, I just want to ask you about the last 13, 14 months, how you found it personally and how you found it creatively.
2: Um, personally, it was a bit of a strange one because my mother died the week before the first lockdown. Oh, my. Um, so that was kind of a very unexpectedly and very sudden. And, um, yeah, that was kind of tough. Um, and my dad has Parkinson's and dementia and just trying to deal with him. And his, you know, it really sent him into a spin. Um, it was, it was kind, it was really, so my head was just on that. That was all, you know, there was a pandemic and everything was going on. And I was just very Conscious about, uh, I was very conscious and very sensitive to people losing loved ones and family and friends, and and yeah, it really, it really, it, you know, it really, really had a big effect on me. Okay,
0: well, let's uh, let's talk about the the, the the positive thing, which is music, and yeah, and, and I'm going to ask you. To start your playlist today, Charlene, we track one, which is the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. Do
2: you know what? See, when I get these things to do lists, I get so excited. And there's so many options. And I'm like, Whoa, ah, you know, you go through it because, you know, I'm like, literally like, what is what? So I, you would have to say one of the greatest. Right. See, this than... is
0: the one that all musicians struggle with, this first one
2: because there's 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 like a list of songs that you can literally go, no, but that's great for that reason and that one's great for that reason and that one's... So there's so many different things. But probably um, the intro of the song for me that was literally my beginning of like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And it would have been The Clash and Should I Stay or Should I Go. Um, just when it goes... Bah, bah, rah, 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 Woo! it's like it's like bring it. you know when you see that bring on the you know i did a thing with, with mick jones years ago for um great ormond street a fundraiser and i remember standing and we did should i stay or should i go no way. there was myself the band was mick jones bobby gillespie me Um, who else was in band oh anyway it was a great band we did a thing for Great Ormond Street and basically we did Should I Stay or Should I Go and I just remember just watching Mick when he went (laughs) and I was like "Ah!" because we at Texas we used to do a version of Should I Stay or Should I Go that was very Nancy Sinatra like so I turned it into the real feminine kind of like femme fatale kind of quite sleazy version, um, which was great. But, um, yeah, it was just hearing that in that moment, and I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm going to pick it as one of the greatest intros to a song.
0: Oh, what what an intro. And no one's ever chose it, which I'm really surprised at. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, And it is just that...
2: Everybody would have thought I would have picked a Marvin Gaye song, which I could have, because...
0: Oh, look at you now, squeezing the honourable mentions in.
2: Yeah, you could, you could. I mean, there's loads of songs I could go down the route. It's like, but for me, that is like, I literally had a long thought about this and a really good long think about it. And and I was like, no, that's, I kept, I kept going back, kept going back because instantly when the, I saw the question, that's where I went yeah. straight away. It was either, but the only two songs, because I, I, I didn't instantly go Marvin. Funnily enough, I went between the clash and should I stay or should I go? Or Love and Happiness, Al Green. Oh those were the, those were the two songs that I really fought between for intros. Because I just think that opening to love and happiness is like mind you know, mind blown and jaw dropping. Just that love and happiness just the way he says it. And he holds it. And then it, when it goes, when he goes with the, the you hear the foot going. <laughs> and that and it So it's really, those were the two, but those were instantly the two songs that, when I saw the question, Love and Happiness and Should I Stay or Should I Go came into my head.
0: So I like to ask uh, musicians this question in regards to intros. So, you know, if we look at how people were listening to the first Texas record, it's very different to how people listen to music now. Uh, yeah. And with that in mind, we're seeing nowadays there being all kinds of things that are thrown into the science of making a hit record. And you know,
2: science to making a hit record. I've never heard so much shite in my life. It's literally people talking about doing using computer programs to write the greatest song ever. It's like fuck off, songwriters like the greatest song ever not a fucking computer you bunch of knobs it's like typical of record companies going you know, the conversations that I've heard for a million years now of record companies of the, the, the doubt that they put in songwriters brains, you know I remember literally when we gave, when we handed over Black Eyed Boy to a record company and they going not really hearing it, not really hearing the, the hit in it. And you're like, what? Then we sent, then they said, go away and have a fiddle with it. And we took it away and just threw it in a corner and sent it back to them three weeks later. The exact same when they went, oh yeah, now it sounds exactly the way it should be. And you're like that. <laughs> you know, you just think wankers. Yeah. You fucking bunch of wankers. And then they take young bands that are coming through, you know, These young bands are writing, like, they could be writing, they could be, like, the next Kim Bob Dylan, for all they know, and they're like, yeah, let's get you in with, let's get you in with some really good songwriters. And you're like, but they are songwriters. Let them write the fucking song it really upsets me sorry i'm having a moment of. no i'm
0: loving it because i'm i'm I'm, i totally agree with you charlene i hate the fact that we're you know record companies are are thinking of how quickly thumbs are moving on phones for tiktok and things like that i just think
2: don't even talk to me (laughs) literally the, the, the amount of times you hear a record company like you're going like that they're going yeah i mean you know, maybe it'd be like we could kind of like go down the Ed Sheeran route and you, you're, you're looking at some young kid that's there with an acoustic guitar with an acoustic guitar and they're like, Ed Sheeran. You're like, yeah, but Ed Sheeran's been, Ed Sheeran's Ed Sheeran. Why would you want to make another Ed Sheeran record? Because Ed Sheeran did that. Mm. You're like, let you know, these are musicians and songwriters. Songwriters are geeks. You know, we're just geeky kids that went to school, didn't particularly have loads of friends and maybe just didn't fit in in the right way. So we became songwriters and we became musicians and then suddenly everybody wants to kiss our arse because they think we're all rock stars. No, we're still geeks. We know how to write songs. The wanker lawyer in some record company that's looking at a stats chart does not know how to write songs, just like I don't know how to practice law, and saying that, I have done better deals than most lawyers, ever have done. (laughs) Fuck them. It's like, you know, you've got to to understand the dream. You've got to understand the desire. You've got to understand the not being able to say those words on a one-to-one basis that some sad, sorry songwriter can express in a song. That is what songwriting is about. It's about literally knowing that feeling in your body and having to express it within rhythm, melody, word. And that's how it exists. So sorry I've caught over your question, but I'm
1: just emotional.
0: (laughs) No, that is exactly what I wanted to hear. And you mentioned Marvin Gaye earlier, and I think there is... A prime example within that. So if you look at the the early Motown stuff, it was absolute perfect pop records. You know, all the yeah. singles were Sugar Sweet, perfect Motown, you know, that had gone through the Motown machine and had come out the other end, these perfect pop songs. And then Marvin writes What's Going On, writes this concept album, which in my opinion is the greatest record ever made, right? Berry Gordy was like, nah. The record company are like, nah. and like
2: honest to God you look at any of the great moments of art within within our time you know look look at for instance film you look at film and the amount of you know when for instance um uh what do you call it apocalypse now got absolutely big and slated Mm. it got slated um, you know, you look at some of the greatest movies ever made that have changed the way we live and the way that film has been made, the way that music has been made, the songs have been written, and everybody went, nah. It's, it's genius. There's a programme on TV at the moment that is just absolutely fantastic. It's like on Sky Arts, so Sky Documentaries or something. So on every morning at nine o'clock, and it literally does, um, you know, for a, an actor... And it shows you all the different films and all the films are made and how they can... Kind of, and then it does a director. And, like, after the second programme, it, it's always a director. And it's great because you just literally go... You're you're just laughing your head off it when somebody's like, nah, they couldn't act or, nah, they couldn't do that. You know, I could call a dodgy boiler when I first signed to Universal Records by, you know, the then David Simone, and, um, who was the MD record company. I'm like, what's the dodgy boiler like? And I remember thinking I was sitting literally outside the office and I heard him saying it and I just remember thinking I'd have been eighteen years old and I thought, you can't <laughs> And literally that stoked my fire so hard for my attitude towards record company executives from that very day. So for that reason, I thank David for saying that. I became great friends with him later on, but literally I thought, I can be friends with you, but I ain't going to take any of your fucking bullshit. And if you tell me that I should be doing this or I should be doing that or whatever, I'll listen to your opinion, but fuck me, I'm going to make up my own decision. And that was it. That's why I now have a 35-year career of because I was a pain in the arse, because I believed in what I was doing and because I had a vision for it. You know, I look at my record company now and, you know, they're great. We all work together to make a record come out. But do you know what? If my record chart, if my chart position when this record comes out on Friday is shit, watch them run for the hills. They know it. I know it. And they'll move on to the next band.
0: You say that they move on to the next band. So just to sort of touch on that, like, as you said there, you know, you, you've had a, 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 you know, a fair few years in, in, in this industry. And so looking at new bands now that come through, as, as I see it, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it feels to me that if bands don't crack it on that first album, they ain't getting a second go. Uh-huh. And like, and to me...
2: That scares, that scares the shame, man, because what they don't have, they don't even have an album the record, the record not even not even giving them an album chance they're giving them a song chance they're giving them a song chance and they've they will have had to build up a young new band coming out up before they're even at a record company they'll have had to have like a handful of 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 massive likes 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 you know they've literally they've had to have done a like a live song streaming, they'll have had to done they'll have had to gathered x amount of followers they'll have had to have you know you know they've had to build up build up a following of their own before the record company is even going to t- touch them and then they're going to say the famous words let's get you in with some songwriters. What, what, my fucking chop liver? Like, seriously? And then they're looking at streaming numbers. They're looking at streaming, how much streaming they're going to get. That is the scariest shit I've ever heard in my life. It's easier to make records than it's ever been. It's cheaper to make records than it's ever been, but it's harder to break through than it has ever been.
0: Mm. That's the thing. I just worry that you see so many bands from, you know, maybe up until about 10 years ago that we're getting that second crack at it and, and you know, and from then have gone on to develop as artists and, and, and you know, create amazing art. And I'm just that, worried that that's just not going to happen now.
2: Yeah, it scares, it really scares the living daylights out of me. And, you know, what's really it's what's really narrow-minded about it is is that if record companies don't break bands and don't make bands household names, they're going to not build any new catalogue. And the album is so important as forming catalogue because when anybody makes an album, nobody, you and me who are music fans, never put a record on and go, oh, fucking hell, I love track five. Ah, track five's the bollocks song on the album. No, we don't. Three weeks in, you and I are going, oh, my God, track five. But we understand as musicians and as songwriters that have made an album... Why track five is on the record or why track seven is on the record? Because we've just spent a year in a studio with, that, with those songs going round and round and round, playing them with our pals, playing them with our families. Like, we know them back to front. We've spent, you know, weeks on end deciding on a running order, how the album's going to flow, where the album's going to sit, the gap between every song. There's an art to it. We're taking you on a journey. You just don't know the journey yet when we've given you it. But what happens is you decide on that journey because you start putting faces and places and people that are in your life into those songs and suddenly that album becomes your album and then when it becomes your album you make it the hit that's the thing is the the public then make the song a hit because the songs start to become their songs and that's the the only moment you own that album is when you finish it as soon as you hand it over becomes everybody else's record and that's the gift of music that is what other artists are to me when i get an album and i'm like oh they suddenly their their songs become my songs, my anthems, my tunes, my life. And that needs to be respected. And it needs to be respected by the music industry or the music industry won't exist because, sorry to tell you boys, but guess what? Young artists do not need you anymore. They can stream their music. They can put their music up on so many different streaming places that basically... What do we need you for? Because we can make the records now. And it will change again because what happens is the only point where the record company becomes viable right now is when a band builds up and then they need the money pumped into them for TV advertising for having, you know... um, a day of, you know, like basically doing social media, doing interviews, doing everything. You need a publicist, you need all that. So then that's when the money starts having to be used. It's when you need a publicist, you need, you know, an online publicist, you need all the stuff that then starts to cost a lot of money. And that is when they start pumping the money into you. Um, But you've got to have achieved so much before you even get to that place. And you're going to do it yourself.
0: I mean, you answered that perfectly
2: <laughs> I,
0: I think a lot of artists have been on here and tried to answer that and not quite got it across i think you absolutely knocked it out of the park there charlene <laughs> what, what? listen up i've only got another new sponsor egg fried it's this super cool clothing label and if you're into sort of skating and street art and gigging and, and kind of like really cool art and throwing a little bit of Asian culture and, and the designer's kind of weird sense of humor in the mix, then you're pretty much there with the wonderful world that is eggfried.com. Now, they do these amazing punchy kind of graphic tees, hoodies and sweatshirts, beautiful art prints, as well as this. They have a denim range, all handmade in-house, all supporting in the slow fashion movement. Not only that, they've given you a discount code, 10% off when you head over to eggfried.com. Just use the code EGGSALAD, E-W-G-S-A-L-A-D, save 10%. Go and get lost in the world of egg fried. Also, they've got a new kids range, and it's called Small Fried, and it's super cool, super cute. Um, And again, it's all over there in this wonderful world. Go and get involved at eggfried.com. I'm going to take you back for track two.
2: I'm a mum. You have to say, like how it is. <laughs> trying to explain it to your child. Sometimes you've got to be able, as a woman, sometimes you've got to like, break it down. And you have to break situations down and explain them in layman's language of, this is the facts. Stop pissing about. Get your life together. These are your options. Now move on. And that's what I do with my 18-year-old. You know, I literally go, this is how it is. No, you don't. You're not. Shut up. You're not at working. You've not earned any money yet. Therefore, you're not at working. So get a life. Sort yourself out.
0: You need to come to my house and have a word with my 18 year old. I'll tell you, Charlene. Oh, um, yeah, Uh I've got two daughters, 18 and 16.
2: Oh, God. God help you. Yep. Yeah, I my mean, I, mean, <laughs> I I had, um, I had the. the it was quite funny because I had the sex talk with my daughter and my um, my daughter, do- my I mean I talked about sex when she was younger but at the point where I was like you know, I'm going to say one thing E when she was like, I think I told it when she was like 15 or 16 and I used, I think she'd been 16, I used a Mickey Flanagan sketch and um, literally my niece who is, my niece would have been like 28 at the time and she was in the car when I had the talk and she literally nearly choked in the back of the car my daughter went and basically I said because Mickey Flanagan does a sketch that is um, he talks about going to a party and he's a really successful um, comedian at this point and he goes to a party and he runs into somebody that he knew from school and she's like yeah I own that big penthouse up there on the river and it's so nice to see that you're so successful and da da, da 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 she goes on and on and on eventually walks away from and he goes still fingered you <laughs> And basically, that is what I used to basically say to my daughter, doesn't no matter who, what you do, who you become, blah, 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 blah. Always have the right head on, know exactly what you're doing and who you're doing it with, and whether they're going to cherish that moment and keep it as something really special, or whether they're just going to go, I fingered her, end of. Because every woman in that audience literally went, <laughs> oh,
0: oh
2: and that is that was it and you know what my daughter got it she instantly got it and she went and my niece got it as well but she was like I wish somebody told me that but my you know so you've really you've really and that was my talk to her and then my drug talk was I took her to see train spot and went there you go (laughs) that there yeah that's how it always ends up it's always brilliant in the beginning but it turns into that so knock yourself out (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, that's I've not got a very good way of parenting, but I try my hardest and I use everybody else's anecdotes to Brilliant my life.
0: Mickey Flanagan and train spotting, perfect parenting. I'm loving that.
2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. <laughs> I just think you said anything else.
0: Right, I'm gonna take you back for track two and I'm gonna ask you Charlene to tell me please the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please.
2: It was Nancy Sinatra and these bits are made for walking my mum and dad had given me their old dance set record player and a pile of records. And I remember putting on um Nancy Sinatra and Lee Hazelwood and it was these boots made for walking. And I just remember hearing the doon <laughs> nooning and nooning and nooning and ticket down, kick And there you keep and that vocal came, came in and she was just like the way she just spat it out oh she was just like, you keep saying, you've got something for me. The way she said it, I was like, what, is, what have they got for her? I remember thinking here and like, and, this, and I don't know what it was. I mean, I must have been like, I must have been about 10 or 11. And I remember I had butterflies. And I was like, whoa, I don't know what that is, this is. But, it, you know, now you suddenly realise that it's literally like a sexual reaction. You're a bit like, whoa. And I just remember thinking, God, this is just amazing. This is just like taking me to places I didn't know existed. And it was funny because I remember years later hearing that when Lee Hazelwood was producing the record, that Nancy Snatter apparently did a take of it and she did a few takes. And then Lee Hazelwood apparently went into the vocal booth and said, listen, I need you to sing the song that you've just been fucked by a trucker. And apparently, that was what he said to her. Probably, you get, you'd probably go to jail nowadays if you'd said that to, yeah. to, to a female artist. But Nancy Sinatra does sing the song like that. She literally, the way she suddenly is just like, she's all over it. And yeah, that was my first physical, um, emotional impact that was when I heard a record was that record.
0: If you had to sum up what that emotion was, what, what was it? Filth. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect.
2: That was it. You know, if there's no sex and rock and roll, you know, it's like you know, people talk about, and, and especially a lot of people say to me, because I was always really androgynous and, and you know, I always was, I didn't do tits and arse or anything. But the the thing is, is that they always got wrong, is it was all about sex for me because, you know, when, when I remember doing the the, the, the sleeve with Jorgen Teller for White on Blonde and it's just my eyes and me pulling up a jumper. So you just see my hand holding the jumper and all you can see is my eyes. I thought that was the sexiest cover in the planet. I was literally, oh my God, I've just done the sexiest album sleeve of all time. You know, I thought I had literally nailed it. So I think it's just dependent on what your perception of sexy is. Mm. And yeah, I thought I had done a really sexy album sleeve. You know, I thought Southside was sexy. We just seen South Texas and giant writing Southside underneath. I was like, that's sexy. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's what your imagery is and what that is for you. And, you know, when I heard that record, it was music is sexy, music is filthy, music is all those things. It's all the things that people are scared to say. It's all those emotions that people are scared to talk about. That was, what the, that was what the attraction was for me. You know, I remember the first time I saw Joe Strummer with his hand bleeding all over the scratch plate, his black and white Telecaster. And I thought... I want to be Joe Strummer. Yeah. I want to be, I I want to I want to experience that passion and that belief and that emotion and directness. And you know, that's what I strive to do.
0: Did the Clash make a real dent for you then?
2: Absolutely, you know. The Clash with my band um I literally, I never, ever saw The Clash live. I was just that bit too young when they did, even when they did, like, the Glasgow gigs. And I was just, I was literally just too young to get into The the Rock Garden. I just couldn't get in. I was just, I couldn't even live at my age. I was just never quite looked old enough. But, yeah, I mean, I absolutely loved The Clash. And, you know, as much as I used to, I used to check into hotels as Jenny Jones. I love
0: it. Yep. Okay. Stay in the formative years for track three. Uh, Charlene, can you tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please?
2: It was the jam in Town Called Malice. Oh. And I just remember literally hearing that for the first time. And it's funny because, you know, it was at that point, like, I mean, Town Called Malice has probably, for me, got the most Motown to, like, the jam records. Definitely. And, you know, I adore Motown. Everybody knows I adore Motown. I've spoke about it five million times. But I remember having my radio hooked onto the, the handlebars of my bike. And literally, I'll never forget that summer. And just riding my bike with the wind in my face, just... Oh, literally feeling like the blood was soaring through my body at an enormous rate of just teenage angst and and just belief in thinking that you know I just I just just absolutely adored it. I'm getting up to let the dog out the door because she's scratching at the door going let me out bitch. Get out. Go on you go. Um, and I just, you know, it's funny because I uh, get, it, like literally around about that time, um, I remember coming back from school and uh, we'd missed the school bus that day. And me and two of my mates literally we thought, right, we'll get the train. And we jumped on the train um, to Baloch because um, I went to school in, in Villa Even Academy in Alexandria. And I remember getting on the train and we go off the chain and we were walking up Baloch, um, coming to the bridge where the loch goes into Loch Lomond. And literally we looked down and we saw this big tour bus. And, you know, it was Balloch. You never saw a tour bus in your life. You were literally like, what's that? And we were looking and the next minute we saw the jam and we were like, can I the jam? And we ran down and they were literally so lovely. And I'll never forget Paul was literally like, yeah, geez, it went on in to the tour bus. I mean, now I know what's on the tour bus, obviously. You know, there's loads of chocolate and crisps and rubbish and junk for us all. And he went on. I'll never forget, he gave us all a bar of furry friends chocolate. <laughs> and I have still got that bar of furry friends chocolate. It was in a shoebox in my mum and dad's house in a cupboard um, for years. And then jumped to white on blonde and I'm at an awards ceremony. I think it was like Q Magazine or something I was at it and on my table was Paul Weller and I went really sheepish I was literally like oh my god Paul Weller Like, and I don't ever go like that way anybody but I literally turned into that like kid again in, on the Baloch Bridge and um, I said to Paul he's, he's like how you doing it's lovely to meet you and, and I was like you know I, I actually met you many many years ago and he's like really and I was like I says, well, actually, I said, do you ever remember being in Loch Lomond? And they, and he knew exactly. The- no way. But he went, we were we were re- we were were just signing a new record deal and they'd taken us to Loch Lomond because we were playing a gig in Glasgow and they took us to Loch Lomond out on a boat to sign to sign the contract. And that was why they were there. And I says, I was one of those kids. I was one of the the girls that, the, the, and he just was laughing, you know. It was just amazing that, you know, your your story comes right round yeah. and so, you know, for me that was that was the song of my youth was, was Town Called Malice.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, just touching on school, was it something that you enjoyed?
2: I hated school, hated every minute of it. I was really badly bullied. Um, I just didn't fit in, you know. I was the I was the stupid wee geek that was standing in the record shops when all my mates were trying to chat up boys, and I I was genuinely just looking at the records. <laughs> oh God! They never, none, none of the boys ever fancied me anyway. They were always a bit, they were always a bit like, "See you, mate, Izzy McNiven," and I was always like, mm. "But um, yeah, I was just like trying to get my record collection together and also." I was so sad I was so OCD I would always buy a plastic sleeve as well i put my singles in or my standard yeah I know standard and you know now it pays off but yeah that was that was me I was the the sad little torag that was literally really genuinely interested in music never ever dreaming that I would ever become a musician or a songwriter
0: it's so easy I think if you love music like if something clicks with you, you know, whether it was Nancy Sinatra or, or whatever, I think in them formative years, it's so easy to fall in love with records and not people. I think, like, especially when, like, you, you know, you see Top of the Pops and you see these people, it was, like, it's just incredible, isn't it? Like, you, you just... No,
2: I just... That's the thing is I feel so bad for young people now that there's nothing like that. Yeah. You know, because... Top of the Pops as well, which was really important, not even just a bit, not just the music, but the generations that were watching it at the same time Because and the mix of music you would get on it. Mm-hmm. So it would be something that your mum absolutely loved and she'd be dancing in the kitchen to. She'd come running out and she was cooking the dinner and you'd watch it and go, oh, I love that record. And you're looking at your mum going what a loser. You know, just the really like stupid stuff that you would think, my mum's nuts. Or suddenly it was a cover version of something and you're thinking, why does my, why do my parents know the words to this song? Not realising it was... So there was the educational, you know, form as well where they would then introduce you to the original record. Um, and I really... I really miss that with my daughter. I mean, we play music all the time and literally... Always has done since she was a little girl. But what is really good is that, that what's quite funny now is that, you know, my daughter and I share um, a Spotify account. Um, like we have one of those family ones. Yep, same. And it's really funny because my daughter is rocking my playlists because my playlists are rocking. <laughs> And literally, like, and, and it's funny when I hear her coming up with some songs now, I'm like, how hey, did you know that? And she's like, oh, I heard it on your playlist. And I'm like,
0: oh. But oh. do you think some songs, right, because I've got this, this, this weird little thing that, that, what you've just said there has just sparked it, and I've asked a few guests this, because it come about about three years ago, driving along with, with my daughters in the car, uh, and it was probably absolute 80s or something like that was on. And Aztec Cameras, Somewhere in My Heart Come On, right?
2: Oh, what a tune.
0: Right. I mean, one of the greatest intros ever, one of the most perfect pop records ever made, right? Uh, and Roddy Frame was just the coolest looking dude. And I like, love it. And, and as soon as it comes on, it's like, crank this. It's like, it just gets better and better and better and better as it unfolds, that record. And I just clocked in the rearview mirror, and my kid's singing along. And so I sort of turned it down, and I was like, how the fucking hell do you know that? And they're like, we just do. And I just think that some songs find their way. Do
2: you know why they know it? I know why they know it. It's in an advert. Right. Yeah. It was in an advert for ages because that's how my daughter knew it. Right. I was was like, how does she know that song? I've been saying that, I play it. It's on my, um, because I've got a list called My Youth. And literally, it's like it's got so many songs on it. It's literally. Do you remember? Do you remember? It's an obsession. you an emotion. An emotion. It's got that. My daughter's loving that record. <laughs> of them, like, like, literally, it's got that on it. It's got. Um, what do you call it? Great intro as well. Party fears
0: 2.
2: Associates. Yep. Yeah. The associates party fears too. Great intro. I mean, literally. I could talk about records and song <laughs> till the cows come home because my heart is like a little jukebox. It's like it's just like that's that's my you know it's my it's, it feeds me the music feeds me and I just absolutely love music.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then playlists are good. You know, I love a Spotify playlist. You know, it's the mixtape, isn't it? And I don't know if it's. If you ever get this, but like I had mixtapes as a kid that was so ingrained in my head that to this day, if I hear a record on the radio as it's finishing, I'm thinking, well, I know I know what's next. I
2: know what's coming next.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. Exactly. You know, you're literally your wee head's going to do. But it's so funny because I can still remember I got my I got my first tape recorder and it was um and I remember recording the Christmas chart. And um, um, Antia and Donna was number one without to, Uptown top ranking. Yeah. And Mollif of Kintyre was number two. Yeah. And I remember on that chart as well because you remember all the songs that were in it. Do you remember a lovely day, Bill Withers? Of course. But I thought, I I thought literally till about five years ago, they were singing Dominic, Dominic, Dominic. Dominic, it's a lovely day. I thought they were saying, Dominic, it's a lovely day. And I only realised about five years ago that they were singing, lovely day, lovely day. (laughs) How mental is that?
0: That's really fucking mental. (laughs) That's mental.
2: And I had that on a tape and I still think... Why did I think that they were singing? Because I had literally put it in, in my head that it was this person called Dominic. And they were trying to say, Dominic, be positive. It's a lovely day. I don't know why that just came in my head. But anyway, that was... I love that the was...
0: whole story. What happened to Dominic? Come on, cheer up, son. Come on, it's a good song. It's a lovely day. Do you, know you know that real disappointment when somebody goes, no when somebody says to you, like, and you're a
2: grown-up and a songwriter with a hit records, when somebody goes like, no, no. It's lovely day, lovely day, lovely day, lovely day, lovely day, lovely day. day. You couldn't have said lovely day that many times. He He must have had a Dominic once for me to think it's Dominic. No, it's lovely. I thought it was like Dominic, Dominic, Dominic. Dominic, I think it may be athletic,
0: Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. What I thought was really sweet that no one would would know because obviously they can't see this. But when you said, and I was taping the charts, and as you done it, you put two fingers out as if you was pressing play and record oh, at the oh. same time.
2: See, that's that's an each thing. I let
0: you know that. <laughs> I think we just. <laughs> All right. Well, look, we've spoke about lots of kind of um, first there. So for track four, um, I'm going to ask you for the first song you remember buying from a record shop. Please.
2: It was um, Elvis Costello and The Attractions, Oliver's Army.
0: Oh, that's a good one to start with.
2: What a great intro! Ding 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 ding. ding -ding. Oh, I mean, how do you write a song with the words with the lyrics in it? Checkpoint Charlie. Yeah. Great lyric. It's just, you know, it's just it's just an absolute and socially what the song is about. And you know, the the, the language that's used in it that no longer mm-hmm. you know we you just it was such uh you know a song that was literally um you know talking about something that would be you know that we're we're still talking about now. Come in, dog. Dory, dogs coming back in. Oh no, dogs not coming in. I'm going to kill this dog. She's just literally getting too arsy for me. Right, keep going. So yeah, I mean, I I just remember. I remember literally playing that 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 single to death. Do you know that feeling when you come back with your first record that you bought on your own with your own money, your pocket money that you've saved up, and then literally you just take the needle on the record and put it over, and you're just like, oh. you sit back in your room, lie in your bed. And again,
0: staring at and the again. sleeve, just staring and, and reading yeah, yeah. every possible little word on that sleeve.
2: All the artwork, feeling the paper, sniffing it. I mean, smell. smell. And then you put it in that plastic sleeve, out that plastic sleeve, in the plastic. Oh, will I put it in? I sh- should I put it with the end in, like where it's closed, or should I keep that so is the record's easy to get it Oh, you, you try to. There's so many decisions to be made.
0: This shit matters, though, Charlene.
2: This <laughs> Kids think they've got problems. Trust me, this
0: my Oh, wonderful! So you, you mentioned when um, all of your friends uh, were out on the pool and stuff in, in, in the record shops. You was too yeah. busy leafing through the the vinyl. <laughs> uh, so were record shops like um, important places for you growing up?
2: Yeah, because they were important places for me growing up because, um, you know, you do grow up in them because um, there's such a social scene in there, in the record yeah. shops. And, you know, it's where you all kind of go and hang out. Back in the day when I was going to record shops, everybody would hang out near the record shops. And then some of the record shops would have like, a you know, a, a, a Space Invaders machine or a Defender, even better, Centipede. Like, yeah, and it was just that thing. Everybody, and you were all smoking and standing there and talking music and you'd, you'd get dressed up. You know, you'd be like, right, what am I going to wear? You know, it's a Saturday. Your mother would be like, when are you going to be back? Don't know. I'll be back. I don't know when I'll be back. You know, it's funny that you think that back then our parents just let us go out. And had no communication with us, and had no idea where we were. You know, it's just like I'm on the phone. When, where are you? What are you doing? When are you coming home? You know, just like you would get time, and you need to be back for that time. And that that was a bit uh, about it. But yeah, I loved going to the record shop. I loved that little thin paperback with the wee people that would dance on it with the wee notes on it. <laughs> so good. It's so good. <laughs>
0: I'm gonna ask you for track five, gonna move things forward a little bit. Uh to the song that soundtracked your year's clubbing, please, Charlene.
2: So my songs, the song that every time I hear, I still to this day hear and I just it takes me straight back to Henry Africa's and it was it's um White Lines by Grandmaster Flash, Melly Mel, and the Furious Five. Um I mean I don't even know if you could make that record nowadays. Could you say that on a record? Yeah. You know, the, the sniffs on it and everything. I mean, we're basically talking about doing coke, coke, to- talking about doing lines of coke and you know it was just like don't you come down don't move it, like everything about it was just like and that yeah. ram dilly dang a dang dilly dang a dang dilly dang a dang dilly dang a and that bass yeah. don't do it and everything just that bass like I think it was one of the first times that we'd heard such a deep bass of the music that was coming out of New York at that point where that real, it sounded so good in clubs. And all you wanted to do was dance, dance, dance. And we were all dancing knew every lyric to it. And just the excitement of hearing a record like that in a nightclub was just like, for me, was it it just it just changed the goalposts of how records were being made, what records were sounded like, and especially what they sounded like in a club. Um and 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 where where as well like the, the different the, the different place that black music had gone to and what it was coming back, filtering back to us um at, at that moment in time. And it was so much about youth and about what was going on at that time in our lives and what was available to us. It,
0: it, do you know what? It's like, I missed punk. I, you know, I was just too young uh, to, to to catch it for it to have any sort of impact on me. And hearing White Lines, I was at school at the time and we all had our little bits of liner and we were all doing our little sort of backspins, you know, in the playground and stuff like that. Uh, but that was as confrontational and as jarring as anything that i think but you know that that had come from like the pistols and, and stuff like that i remember i just remember thinking that that hip-hop for me was just like what is this it sounds like it's like didn't sound like anything else it scared that- me
1: hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter
2: Yeah, and that's the thing that's so important to let young people make the music that they want to make, like going back to what we were talking about, because it was like, what is this? You know, it was it was that really... I've got to take my glasses off because my eyes are killing me now. Um, it was that really important thing, um, the important thing of just hearing something that was like, I-, I don't know what this is. I mean, the amazing feeling that you're just hoping that will continue it will continue everything goes through lulls and we'll come back again because the song will always come through but yeah i mean i, I remember hearing hip-hop and just going this is just again this is filthy yeah. this is like oh oh i just i'm i'm dancing in ways that i never even knew existed in my body <laughs> You know, you were just doing things. You were batting up into people like, "What?" The fuck? <laughs> you know, your mother would kill you if she'd seen you on a dance floor at that yeah. moment. You were just—it was—you were just getting down and dirty and literally doing things on dance floors that hadn't been done before. And it changed everything. It changed everything. Changed the way we dressed. It changed the culture we lived in. It changed the way we, you know. We, we interchanged with our young generation of, of colour for, for all of us that we shared this thing, um, this, this and, and, and a culture and a music that was literally educating us of, to a culture in, that we didn't know.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And it, it was really, really important, really important, socially educating us um, and educating us from a black point of view.
0: And you had to go and find it. It wasn't accessible. It was, you know, well, there was, you know, where, where, where I was living, like, like just outside of London. You know, there was a couple of pirate radio stations where you could like try and tune in your little stereo to try and hear some hip hop. And like, exactly. it was, it was only when you'd see things like, you know, Melly Mel and things like that on top of the pops that it was like all you really got. And like other than that, you just couldn't hear it anywhere.
2: You couldn't hear it. You couldn't get hold of it unless you did know the right people or you know right places to find it. And how exciting
0: is that, though, in itself?
2: But it was—it's amazing because you know it was like a real moment of discovery. Discovery of something that your parents never knew about as well. It was the first time we'd got something like, and that that was the same thing as when punk happened to, to that generation. It's like having something that your parents have no fucking clue about, and and I guess for me, I, I guess there was a point when my daughter had really got into like years ago. My daughter would have been about twelve or something, and she really get into K-pop, and I was like, what is this, like? You know, but I understand why she getting it and understand because it was something that I wasn't going, that I didn't know more about than she did. Um, you know, now her music taste has changed and she's gone down a different route and she's in the other, you know, you know, way different stuff from that. But I understand why she went through it at that age yeah. and why she, it was it was her music, it was her thing. You know, the same is why Echo and the Bunny were, were my thing and on my mum's. You know,
0: well, I'm going to take you home uh, for track six, and I'm going to ask you to tell me, please, a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please.
2: Um, I am going to go. Or I, I mean, people a bit like that—that's biased. But I'm literally going to go. Altered Images, don't talk to me about love. Perfect. And um, Johnny, um, who is the bass player in Texas, and also my songwriting partner, was the bass player and songwriter in Altered Images. And I remember, I mean, it was funny because when I first met Johnny, I was like, God know you. <laughs> um, but um, I still think when I hear Don't Talk To Me About Love, um, I just think what a great record. It hasn't dated at all. It still sounds totally current. It sounds amazing. That, ah, the melody, I remember, um, I mean, recently we just did um, Claire's Actually Features on the New Texas album um, and sings with me. Um, we do a duet together. But what happened was is a few years ago we did the three or four nights at um, Kelvin Grove Park in Glasgow and we thought, what can we do That was, um, that that we can give something to Glasgow that's a bit different. And we asked Claire to come on stage with us. And it was really funny because, you know, Johnny had been on stage a million times with Claire and heard Claire sing live a million times, but the rest of Texas hadn't. Um, And we did the sound check and it was really funny because Claire was really nervous. And um, literally, she suddenly opened her mouth and sang. Every one of us just went, that's that voice. It's the voice. And it was a, a voice that took us and a record that took us straight back to being those kids sitting in front of the top of the pops, watching altered images on wow. it. So, you know, that was, that for me, don't talk to me about love. No, is, is, is just a great, great, one of the great songs, not just as a Scottish band, but one of the great songs. It's
0: perfect, it's absolutely perfect. There's there's a kind of thing in my house where uh, when or images ever come on anywhere, I just zone out and like, and like my wife's always like, yeah, this this is what happens. This is what Claire Grogan does to men of a certain generation, and it's just for me, it's straight back to top of the pops, Claire Grogan. That song as well. It's if that song. A
2: guy of a certain age that I know, and journalists, I mean, they always go when you go when you say the name Claire Grogan, to will oh. they go. They'll go a bit dizzy. they go. <laughs> it's so true. Grogan, she my first crush. Oh, you know, totally. <laughs> my chop loving you like motherfucker. They, they always go, Claire Grogan.
0: Have you ever heard REM? Cover that. Shut up. Mm.
2: I don't even know if Johnny knows they did Don't Talk To Me About Love.
0: There's a, a live bootleg of, they done a, um, a gig under the guys. It was at the Borderline uh, and it was with uh, Billy Bragg and uh, Robin Hitchcock. And Oh, my God. And they played, REM played under, it was just after Out of Time come out and they played under the name Bingo Handjob and um, really? it's a great name uh yeah, and they cover with billy Bragg. they cover unbelievable but emf and then all of a sudden michael stipe starts singing don't talk to me about love oh shit yeah
2: i don't think johnny does know that um. i do claire knows that i need to tell them <laughs> I, I love that i love that when i've got a little nugget of information
0: <laughs> Just, just casually drop it in and Michael Stipe sang that song.
2: Oh, well, hey, by the way, did you know? That song? <laughs> yes,
0: great. <clears throat> All right, it's your last song, uh, Charlene, and this is when you can play DJ uh, and tastemaker. Okay. And I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me a song that many people may not know that you would like them to hear
2: i 'm um, not sure if people do know this song or don 't know this song. It was a really difficult one because I just assume that everybody knows every record on the planet and then i 'm like but what 's a great record that no matter how many times I hear it and i 've introduced this to like my um, my my best friend 's son was going off to Berkeley music school in boston and and he was looking for a song to and I told him I said to him, You should do this song.' And he was like, I've never heard that song before. And the song is is Python Lee Jackson. It's called In a Broken Dream. And I don't know, most people will probably go, oh yeah, I do know when they hear it. But it's actually Rod Stewart when he went under the, the, the pseudonym of Python Lee Jackson. And um, this song is just a wonderful, wonderful song that, you know, I think Rod Stewart... I love when people lose themselves and lose themselves in a song, and you know, Rod Stewart is just a phenomenal, phenomenal voice. But to hear him singing this way in this song, just when he sings "Don't push your love too far," is just like, ah, oh, heaven. And for me, this is a song. And when when my my friend's um, son heard it, he was like. He never knew it, but he was like, this is just an amazing song. For, so for young people, if anybody doesn't know this record, go out and check
0: it out. Well, we make it easy for people to do that, Charlene, because we put a Spotify playlist together to accompany this chat with all the songs that we've spoken about. Yay! And so just as we start to, to wrap things up, um, as 2021's unfolding you know, in a more positive way now, what are you looking forward to? from the rest of this year and what's happening professionally?
2: So Texas have got a new album called Hi that's out 28th May so I don't know when you're going out with this but it's out the 28th May um, and I'm really excited about that I'm really excited about it and horrifically feeling ill at the same time um, because you just never know what's going to happen And and then I think why do I do this? And then I remember why I do it because I just Again, I've got I've got too much to share and too much to say, and um, I love music. Um, we're doing a couple of dates, um, like we're going to do a full band acoustic warm ups of to, to just get a hand in to play some of the new songs and get a feel for them, and then the full big bad blown tour goes out in January. We start in Australia, and New Zealand coming back to the UK in February and um, we will go um, from that into the European tour and the rest of the world.
0: Wonderful. Charlene, I've had an absolute blast. Thanks so much yeah. for your time, mate. Sorry
2: about, sorry about my potty mouth.
0: Oh, mate, <laughs> you ain't got to worry about swearing on this podcast.
2: <laughs> Guy Garvey calls me potty mouth. He says I've lost potty mouth. <laughs> So like he refers to me as Potty Mouth, so I've got to be really careful with my swearing. <laughs> Just That's another one, my daughter. I told my daughter when she was about three when she said the word <laughs> one time. I went, you know that if anyone ever hears you saying that, that I'll get arrested and put in prison and you'll never see me again. <laughs> I think I should do a parenting
0: podcast. <laughs> Just going to say that. <laughs> Forward from Mickey Flanagan. <laughs> I'll probably get put in prison after that. <laughs> Okay. Oh, thanks so much for your time. I know you've had a full-on day of of, of chatting today, and I really appreciate you.
2: Get to talk about music and not just me. It's an absolute pleasure.
0: Oh, brilliant! We'll have a lovely evening, Charlene. Thank you so Thank much, you. mate. Take See care. Bye bye. There you go. Straight in from the beginning, wasn't it? Love a good rant. Love a good rant bit of effing and jeffing that's what it's about passion um i was such a good chat um absolutely loved that didn't know what to expect from charlene um and yeah absolutely brilliant um so yeah huge thanks to charlene for giving up her time to have a chat about records with me uh thanks to you lot for listening Uh, as mentioned at the beginning if you'd like to um hear some more go have a look in the the back catalog 300 episodes go get stuck in all for free um yeah, if you'd like to support on the Patreon, that'd be amazing. Um, yeah, and you can do... Well, you can find out about everything you need to know about this podcast and everything that's available on www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I'm back next time. Be excellent to each other. Thanks loads. See you soon. Bye-bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stew, with it,
1: boy.